getting argumentative in your heart, then just notice that. I, I can guarantee you at some point today, you're going to say, ah, nah, 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 that's not going to be possible. I don't mean over the whole thing. I think you're going to agree largely with what I'm saying. But we're talking, so folks, we've, we've talked about needing to be planted. Like, we're not just doing a religious system here. Like, this is, this is vibrant Christian growth. You've got to be planted. You have to believe the right things. You have to believe the gospel. And then you have to be rooted. Like, like those roots have got to go down. Then we grow, okay? And so we're on the growing phase of this. Today, we are talking about specifically, like, the most practical, specific things you can do that, folks, you are going to have to do to press back. And you're going to argue in your heart. You're going to say, I don't have time, or it's just not my schedule, or it's just not right this point in my life. I mean, you are going to argue against this today at some point. Just notice that, and then let's figure out what to do with that. Okay, so today we're looking at rule number six. Rule number six is practice the spiritual disciplines or you will wither and burn out. Uh, you'll, 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 just, you'll be detached. You've got to practice the spiritual disciplines. Did you pick up in the last few weeks, have you been here? There's a lot that God is doing in us, right? And the illustration Jesus gives of being connected with the vine, I mean, you cannot just concentrate and make fruit grow. That's not how fruit grows. It has to be connected vitally to the vine. But there are things that we do not to become Christians, but since we are Christians, there are things that we do. And we're going to talk about some of those things here today. Have you ever been very close to a professional basketball player? I mean, like really close. Like you go to a, a Sixers game and maybe you're able to go close to the court, you know, prior to things starting and see how big those guys really are. They look so much bigger in real life than they do on my television set, even though they have their stats listed out on the television set. A few years ago, my wife and some folks were invited to go to an event outside of here, and Bill Walton was the speaker at the event, and they had a meet and greet, and so he had to stand in line. So Rochelle and I uh, went up and, and talked with Bill Walton. You could talk with him just a few moments. I'd never been that close to a person that enormously big. And he has had several like back spine surgeries and all that stuff. So he's probably a few inches shorter than what he was in his prime. He was huge. I'm giving you that illustration because practicing the Christian life, practicing the disciplines of the spiritual life are going to feel like Sorry for the sports illustration, if you're not a sports person, it's just kind of what comes to mind for me, is that you are put on a basketball court, and your assignment is to guard Bill Walton. And you're just kind of like, there's no way. There's just absolutely no way. You want to put it in today, got to be a guy like Joel Embiid or LeBron James, or you guard that guy, all right? That's your guy. Telling us within a culture of busyness to slow down almost seems like total fiction. 
But I'm going to encourage you that if you are going to practice, if you're going to be that tree planted by rivers of waters that God is growing, it is going to be some intentional pushback against the Bill Waltons, the Joel Embiid's of busyness and hurry that come at us. I know some of you right now is like, I got small kids at, ro- at home, Rob. There is no chance. Like, I cannot. My, my thing isn't like a seven-foot person. It's like a two-foot person. <laughs> That's what I'm pushing back against. And I don't know how to make it work. I'm not going to give you some snap answer. I'm not going to give you, oh, this, do this, this, this. But I'm going to set before you what's going to need to be done. And God, God can give wisdom on these things. I want to talk a little bit about just the digital world we live in. Because no possibility of talking about this without talking about the digital world that we live in. I see a picture of the book. I think we're on page 89. Uh, you can take notes in, in the book there on page 89. But let's talk about the digital world that we live in. I'm not going to go through each one of these statistics. This was from January 2022. This is fairly recent. They don't have the 2023 one up yet. It was last November that the world actually passed 8 billion people. Okay, so it's actually higher than this. But just look at that. The unique number of mobile phone users. 5 billion you ever gone to the mission field, just some way out place, and you're just like, people are using phones. How, do they, how does this even happen? All right, five billion. Unique internet users, almost five billion. That last one, that's a, that's a big one, man. Active social media users, 4.6 billion people engaging in social media. This is, not, this is not like an old guy message where it's like, well, you got to do away with phones. That's not what this is. We're in a world that's not going away. So how do we navigate that world? According to the CDC, the average American person spends 90% of their time indoors. 2.5 hours a day on social media. And again, I'm not coming at you like some grouch. You know, I'm just telling you, this is, this is, this is the seven-footers that we're going to have to push back against or we will be bowled over. And the truth is, and this is where the pushback is going to be today, some of us are getting bowled over. Like, we're not even giving consideration to this much at all. I, I just thought about this while I was working on the message this week. I quote from Charles Spurgeon. Most preachers quote from Charles Spurgeon. He was pastor in England in the late 1800s. Think about when Charles Spurgeon was pastoring. I was thinking about this this week. He was preaching to people with no phones. There was no TV. People were outside a lot. Most people didn't have cars that they traveled in. Think about that scenario of preaching to a group of people like that versus preaching to people today. I'm not saying we're more complex or whatever, but you think about the challenges we face today that they didn't face years ago. They faced other challenges. I'm speaking today to people smothered by a culture of busyness and hurry. I have spoken about these things before. I mean, since I came back from my sabbatical now almost four years ago, I've been talking about some of these things. Some of the illustrations I give today may sound familiar. 
But you know what hasn't changed? If anything, it's gotten worse. We are, we are in a culture of busyness and hurry. That is our culture. It is our greatest challenge. Of all the things I preach on in this entire series, I'm telling you, today may be your greatest challenge. It will be the toughest thing that you are actually going to have to face. We all are. I don't mean you. We all are facing this. There's a theologian who wrote a book called Consider the Lilies, A Plan for Creational Theology. Sounds big and complicated, but here's a great quote from this book. He said, Most people trudge trudge through their daily routines of trade and toil, unmindful of the shimmering and beckoning around them. They take creation for granted, having shod their feet with the comforts of material existence. They surfeit themselves with an abundance of things, preferring these rather than for any firsthand experience of God revealing himself in what he has made. Obviously speaking to the fact that most of us live our lives indoors. Last week we talked about the nature of Christian growth, folks. The nature of Christian growth. Jesus takes them to a vine and he shows them something slow and toilsome. It's it's not dynamic. It's not like they're standing there and all of a sudden fruit, and they're like, wow, that was incredible. It's almost imperceptible growth many times. This is the real Christian life. This is what happens. So today's topic is soul food. If that's the way we grow, if that's what Jesus' illustration is, what is the food? What can we do? Psychology today defines hurry sickness. They actually have a definition for hurry sickness. It is a malaise in which a person feels chronically short of time. By the way, while we're speaking about time, how many of you feel just, you join me in saying, you feel a little off this morning. Are you like that? Put your hand up. Yeah, I just, I just kind of feel like, I kind of feel like I've had coffee, I've done my normal stuff, but I was kind of like, uh, Rob is not here yet. All right, so, uh, you know, we're talking about time. Hurry sickness, a malaise in which a person feels chronically short of time, so tends to perform every task faster and to get flustered when encountering any kind of delay. Does that sound like anybody here? (laughs) Or is that just somebody out there, you know, somebody you saw at Walmart, just kind of frustrated? No, this describes us. Man, we feel like this. We're going to look at this very familiar text in Luke chapter 10. If it's not familiar to you, no problem. But it's familiar in the Bible because of the uniqueness of it. We're going to see a problem, a solution, and some application. So let's look at Luke 10 and verse 38. Luke chapter 10 and verse 38. As they went on their way, Jesus entered a village... And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Now, stop right there. We're going to talk a lot about just some of the differences between Mary and Martha. But I just want you to notice that the person who comes first to the door is practicing Middle Eastern hospitality in the best possible way. And it's the person that kind of gets in the story feeling like, well, that's the bad person. She's not the bad person. She welcomes Jesus into her her home. In verse 39, she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Sounds good. But Martha was distracted with much 
serving. Now, think about this. The book of Mark says Jesus came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, to give his life a ransom for many. So Jesus is the ultimate servant. It seems like serving right here should be magnified in the text. It should be like Martha's serving. Way to go, Martha. But, but that's not quite the way it is. It actually gives us a glimmer into what's going on inside of her. She was distracted with a lot of serving. And this is the part that really is just amazing. So she goes to Jesus and says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. I love that. Doesn't it sound like something maybe you've wanted to say at some time, or maybe you have said, or maybe one of your kids said, I've been picking up the room, but he's doing nothing. Tell him to do that. That's kind of what she's saying. Tell her to help. You know, she doesn't say, Jesus, can you help me? Or Jesus, can you magically make the meal appear so we can both listen? (laughs) She says, will you go and you tell her to come and help me? The Lord answered her, verse 41, and said, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. That wasn't a rebuke, by the way. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Did you notice that one thing necessary? Let's talk about Mary and Martha for a little bit just because it's just it's 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 needed. Do you have anyone in your life that is so different from you that it's irritating and it bothers you? Martha, if you're a Martha, and you have a Mary in your life, you're always telling them to hurry up, please. We've got to get there, always pointing to the watch. If you're a Mary, and you have a Martha in your life, you're kind of getting bossed around a lot. If you're more like Martha, then you don't like this story. If you're more like Mary, you love this story, right? <laughs> Man, this is like, hey, amen. You're looking around at all the Marthas. Huh? I can tell you right out, straight out, who I relate to in this story, and it's Martha. And, and I'll tell you specifically why, because when I study this story, I think about something in my life that's true. Uh, my wife and I, since we've gotten married, have been in positions where we've needed to host people. Even when we had a a college job, our job every Friday night, part of our job was to have college students into our little apartment, and uh, we'd get the block of Velveeta and and melt it down and have nachos. Those are best nachos, by the way. And... um, have, have a party. And I didn't grow up like that. So doing stuff like that was kind of new to me. But from the beginning, we've been... But here, here's the Martha part of it. I don't know why. And I've been trying to get to this for, for 30 years now. We've been married. Whenever we host people, whenever we host people, about an hour before they arrive, I feel incredibly tense. Now, if anybody else is like this in here, you need to talk to me afterwards and offer a little comfort, all right? Because I get really tense. Not because the people, not because they're bad people or whatever, but I, and it's not because the house looks like it's a mess or whatever. We could prepare whatever. I feel incredibly tense because I feel like by the time they get there, everything needs to be clicked. We shouldn't have, you know, where's this, where's that, all that kind of stuff. 
I get to, I, to this day that bothers me. So I relate to Mar- Martha in this story. I can feel that tenseness when she kind of marches in to talk to Jesus about Mary. I can feel that. By the way, this has nothing to do whether Rochelle's doing anything in the house prior to... Don't overthink what I just said, all right? Don't overthink it. I'm just talking about myself right now. Do you know the five languages of love? Is it Gary Smalley who did the five languages of love? I actually really like that. It's observations about human behavior. What would be Martha's love language? Acts of service, man. Acts of service. I don't think Martha's doing what she's doing there because she, you know, somebody's got to do this and she's just kind of begrudgingly doing it. I think it's, this is her way of showing love to Jesus. If you're a Mary, what's, what's Mary's love language? Quality time. Man, she's a quality time person. She wants to just soak it in and spend that time with Jesus. Martha's worry about responsibilities. Mary's worry about relationships. Martha can't sit, sit still. There's an endless to-do list. If Martha sits down to watch a movie and they sit down, she has to get up, she has to go do something, she has to wipe a smudge off the television, she has to go in and check something, she just remembered something that she needs to write down. That's what a Martha does world needs Martha's, right? <laughs> the world would not run without Martha's. Martha's always know where their phone is. She's checking her phone because she is needed. Mary's, they don't even know where their phone is. And if they do know where their phone is, it hardly has any battery left because they didn't charge it. They're not even worried about charging phones. Do you know anybody like that? Martha is usually the boss, and she can be very bossy. Marys don't like to get bossed around. You can tell them what to do, but you've got to be really, really nice about it. Martha says, there's no time for that. We've got to get some stuff done. Marthas don't take time for vacations, or if they do, they bring their computer, they do emails before everyone gets up in the morning because they've got to stay connected to things. Now, both of these women are God's friends, or Jesus' friends. Both of them are. Both of these women are women that Jesus loves and who are attached to him. Martha says, if Martha doesn't cook, Jesus doesn't eat. Mary says, Jesus broke five loaves and two fish. He can work a miracle here. Let's spend some time with Jesus. If we're honest, we can be like both of them. There's a particular way, though, that the passage takes that needs to be considered. And this is what Mary teaches us from the passage. And Martha teaches us some things, too, but particularly Mary, because Mary chose to spend extended time with Jesus. Martha welcomed Jesus into her house, but after that, she didn't make time for him. Let me say that again. Martha welcomed Jesus into her house, but after that, she didn't make time for him. Do you know why I said it twice? Because some of us have welcomed Jesus into our lives, but we don't make time for him. Or if we do, it's pretty much miserly time because, Rob, you don't understand my job. 
we need to take heart what, what's being spoken of and what the crux of this passage is when Jesus says one thing is necessary. Some of us have given the excuse, one day I'll have more time for God. Some of us have said, you know, when the kids are out of the house, then I'll have more space, I'll have more bandwidth to give time to God or time to God's people. Some of us say, if I had a different job, then I could. And we've got to stop that, folks. We've got to stop the excuses. Call them excuses because Jesus is speaking a passage here full well knowing that people are going to have lots of different ways they're going to need to live this out. One thing is necessary. Our relationship with God, here's what what we can all agree on, our relationship with God requires cultivation and nourishment. You cannot listen to someone in a hurry. You cannot spend time with someone in a hurry. You cannot love someone in a hurry. You can't do that. It was a conversation a few years ago. I had heard this quote mentioned. I didn't know the backstory for it. But a conversation between John Ortberg, who was a pastor in the Chicago area, and Dallas Willard, we've quoted from him several times through this, And uh, John Ortberg, he was pastor of this very fast-growing church, lots of things going on. Dallas Willard was a teacher. He's a spiritual formation writer, so forth. So John Ortberg called Dallas Willard, and he was like, man, my life's out of control. My life is going a mile a minute, and I, 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 I feel like I can't catch up. Do you ever feel like that? Like you see your life is kind of going this, and you just can't catch up to your life. It's going so fast. And John Ortberg asked Dallas Willard, is there anything you can tell me to help me? And there was this long pause. And then Dallas Willard said this, hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. John Ortberg, being a very productive sort of guy, says, is there anything else? And Dallas Willard said, nope, that's it. That that is a key issue. Ruthlessly eliminating hurry from our lives. Hurry is everywhere. It's the dopamine rush that you get when you see a notification on your phone. Little dopamine rush. It's the just one more hour of work in the office when you know you really need to head home. It's another yes without saying no to something in your already very busy life. Hurry is everywhere, and it's causing our spiritual lives to wither. Do you know one of the greatest offenders of this? Church. Church. Because people's lives are busy out here, and so then what happens is we've got so many programs, so many things that need done. We take those same people, we're pulling, 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 pushing them into things in church. I gave this illustration a while ago, and I can't can't remember when when or where I gave it, but it fits here, and I want to give it again. There was a, a guy who did a study. His name's Michael Ziccarelli, and he did it with people who were claiming to be evangelical Christians, And he took a sampling of 20,000 of them. And he asked, he wanted to identify what happens when busyness comes into people's lives, I think was the the topic of the study. 
And he came up with these five conclusions. Of all the responses that came back, here were the five conclusions that he came up with. Number one, Christians are assimilating a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload, which leads to God becoming more marginalized in Christians' lives, which leads to a deteriorating relationship with God, which leads to Christians becoming even more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions about how to live, which ultimately leads to more conformity to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload, and then the cycle begins again. I don't know about you, but when seeing something like that, it's just alarming to me that I could be in that hamster wheel and feeling like I can't get out. There's a guy by the name of Roland Rollheiser who said this, Today, a number of historical circumstances are blindly flowing together and accidentally conspiring to produce a climate within which it is difficult not just to think about God or to pray, but simply to have any interior depth whatsoever. We are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. Pathological busyness, distraction, and restlessness are major blocks today within our spiritual lives. Listen to this invitation in Mark 6.31. Jesus said this, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. Now, I think today we would be like, that's successful ministry, man. You can't pull away from that. you got to meet people where they are. We need these people. Jesus, you need to meet with these people. Jesus is like, time out, guys. Peter, come back. Peter, no, I'm serious. Come back, Peter. We're not doing any walking on water demonstrations right now. We're not doing that. You come back. What what, what are we doing? What's the plan, Jesus? We're going to get out. What? Are you kidding me? This is our time to build the brand, man. And you're the brand. <laughs> it's like, no, we're going to get apart. If you study the life of Jesus, notice this about him. He was rarely in a hurry. Have you ever noticed that? He's rarely in a hurry. He's not like, hey, I think something's going on in another town. Let's go. He was rarely ever in a, in a hurry. He was present in each moment. He was present, folks, to his heavenly Father. He was present to each person who was in front of him. He was present to creation. Look at the birds of the air. He would do that. He was present to creation. He was present to his own soul. My soul is deeply troubled. He noticed these things. Some of us are so busy, we don't even notice these things. Jesus' life gives us a great example of a non-hurried life. We learn from Jesus how to to obtain salvation. Once we are Christians, we need to understand Jesus is an example of how to be a human also. How to be a human. So here's some of the problem. Let's talk about the solution. All right, let's move into some of the solution. How did we get here? Again, follow this. I I gave little pieces of this a few years ago, and I, I... really think it's helpful to review this. The modern clock was, as far as we can tell, there was a study that was done in the Concord Review by uh, this woman, Maddie Glenn Haber. She would go all the way back to, in monasteries of the Middle Ages, 
that the people heading those monasteries wanted to have prayers certain times of the day and certain times during the week, but they needed a way to be able to mark that out, to be able to have a regimented prayer time. And so they established a clock within the monastery to monitor that. Most people go back to 1370 in Cologne, Germany, as the watershed event of time, because it was the first time that a public clock was put up anywhere in the world, 1370. Before that time, people monitored their daily activities by the sun, by the seasons. And then clocks came and people began to monitor their time differently. And then came Thomas Edison. We're fast-forwarding significantly with the invention of the light bulb. Prior to Thomas Edison inventing the light bulb, people slept 10 to 11 hours a night. That's what they did. Some of you can't even imagine, like some of you young moms can't even imagine 10 hours of sleep a night. That is just amazing. Now the average American is down to, on the high end, maybe seven hours of sleep a night. Think about the difference in that, folks. Then came the Industrial Revolution with more and more labor-saving devices and appliances, and all of these things were meant to help us to save time. I think this study is interesting. In the 1960s, there were social theorists who determined, this is absolutely bizarre, 1960s, they had determined that by the time 1985 came, that there would be too much leisure time for Americans, that we would be down to working 22 hours a week and 27 weeks a year. Isn't that amazing? Can you even imagine that kind of world? But then came 2007. I was here as a pastor in 2007, so this is in the lifetime of most people here. 2007 was a date that changed the world. What happened in 2007? And this is not just my thing because I like this. This, is, this goes to many people who believe this, that in 2007 was the launch of the iPhone. When the iPhone launched, so was Facebook, so was Twitter, so was iCloud, so was the App Store in that same time. Many people point back to the modern digital age to 2007. Let me give you a definition of an addiction. An addiction is a relentless pull to a substance or an activity that becomes so compulsive it ultimately interferes with everyday life. Now, by that general definition that can apply to many things, most of us in this room have a tech addiction. We have a technology addiction that's part of our lives. Now, sometimes we'll come along and we'll say, we need more time. If I just had two more hours in a day, have you ever thought that? Do you know what would happen if we had two more hours in a day? We would do, folks, with two more hours in a day, what we're doing with the time we have right now. (laughs) That's what we would do. The answer is not more hours in the day. Ruth Haley Barton wrote a book called Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership, and she describes 10 symptoms of hurry sickness. Number one, irritability. Number two, hypersensitivity. Number three, restlessness. Number four, compulsive overworking. Number five, numbness. Do you feel like that, that inner like defensiveness is coming up at all? <laughs> 
Number six, escapist behaviors. Number seven, disconnected from our identity and calling. Number eight, not able to attend to human needs. Number nine, hoarding energy. Number ten, slippage in spiritual practices. Can you feel a little bit of Martha's irritableness when she comes to Jesus and she says, do you care? You ever thought what a bizarre question that would be? if you were just kind of observing somebody talking to Jesus, and they said, do you care? God comes from heaven down to inhabit a human body and, and to be a human being, and it's like, do you care? But she was overwhelmed with thought. She wasn't attentive to her own needs. She was attentive to her irritations in that moment. Jesus' response back to her is very compassionate. When, when a name is repeated like this, Martha, Martha, he's not rebuking. This is a gentle way of addressing her. And his response back to her is, I understand. You are seen. You are anxious. I know you're bothered about a lot of things. And if I could add, it's almost like he's saying, and there's a lot of things to be anxious about, Martha. But one thing is necessary. And that is the feeding of your soul. Not for information. This is not about just getting a Bible study to know what the book of Job says. It is soul intimacy. That's what was happening between Mary and Jesus. She was drinking in who he was, not just information answering questions. Do you not care? 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8 say, Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily training is just slightly beneficial, but godliness is beneficial for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The term discipline here, you may have heard before, is the Greek word gymnazo. It's where we get our word gymnasium from. So discipline yourself means get in the gym. That you're going to have to get in the gym. Why? Because this holds promise for the life to come. This is the spiritual formation of being in the image of Christ. This is what this is. Remember, heaven is not the goal. It is the destination. The goal is Christ formed in you. Now, we're going to talk about specific applications of this, these practices here in just a moment. Let's talk about the gym for just a minute. Let's switch the metaphor from the vine to the gym. You know I go to the gym. I love the gym. Many of you go to the gym. I see some of you in the gym. But I told you here, oh, a few months back, I decided that... um, that as, as, I'm, as, as I'm on the back half of my life, shall we say, um, that I'm starting to think, okay, what things do I want to do before I'm not able to do them anymore? And so uh, one of those things is, I, I, I've said before, I've always hated running my whole life. And somebody challenged me on that. They were like, did you only have to run when you were in sports and you were penalized for something? I was like, I feel seen. I think that's exactly what happened. You know, it was like, you're not doing it. Take some laps. And so I was just like, I hate running, right? I love other things, but I hate running. So I just decided I want to try to conquer this. And um, this last week, this last week, I did in the gym four different times, I did 5Ks in the gym. Not walking, running 5Ks. And I did them in under 10-minute miles, 
That is a huge accomplishment for me. No applause necessary, no pats on the back for that. I don't get an extra cookie for that. I'm just telling you that that was a huge accomplishment for me. Now, when I started a few months ago, my calves hurt so bad. I'm telling you, I thought I was the most out of shape person on the planet. And then I started looking around at the gym and I'm like, that can't be the case. But uh, I felt like that. I felt like I cannot do this. I was hurting myself. And then I'd go long stretches where I was like, I can't do that because I'm going to permanently impair myself and all this kind of stuff. And so then I slowly got back into it. Now, I could, I could say that I ran a 5K. That's 3.1 miles, by the way. Um, I, could, I could run a 5K. But you know what? I'm not out there running marathons. I could beat myself up like that. I'm not running 10 miles. I could beat myself up and say I'm not doing that. I can watch Lori Glemser's Instagram, and I could be like, good night, I'm not doing that. I could beat myself up on that. You know what? You can beat yourself up all day long on this stuff. You're like, I haven't read the Bible through. I'm not praying 30 minutes a day. Nobody's asking you to do that. Nobody thinks that's what's going to make you spiritual. you got to start where you're at. Now, for some of you, that is carving 10 minutes in the morning. 10 minutes. And it's reading the Bible for five minutes and praying for five minutes. We're going to talk about some specific practices that you can implement to do that. Don't worry about the running of the marathon. You start where you are at for your own benefit so that Christ is formed in you. Forget about what other people are doing and do what you are supposed to do. Now, page 91 in your workbook has a chart like this. All right, It's a, it's a chart. Author Don Whitney says, the only road to Christian maturity passes through the practice of the spiritual disciplines. That's what he said. What are the spiritual disciplines? Well, here's one grouping. Here's one grouping. Don't let the word abstinence kind of throw you off there. All that simply means is there are disciplines of refraining from something, and there are disciplines of engaging with something. Okay? Okay? Abstinence is is refraining from food, like the practice of fasting or the practice of solitude. You're not engaging. You're refraining from something. And engagement is like Bible reading and prayer. Dallas Willard said, Activities of the mind and body are to bring our personality in line with the divine order. Okay? Some people call these means of grace. I actually like the term means of grace doesn't mean you're getting grace from God. It means you're, you're connecting yourself to the ultimate graceful one, Jesus. So disciplines of abstinence on the left-hand side and then disciplines of engagement on the right-hand side. This is something in community groups you need to talk about. You need to spend some time like looking through those. Let's talk about it on the left-hand side for just a moment because I referred to this earlier, the discipline of solitude. Now, I know that sounds, it it kind of tweaks you a little bit because in your mind, the busier you are, the more productive you're supposed to be, right? So the idea of any kind of solitude or silence, by the way, those of you in my, we're in my emotionally healthy spirituality class, you should, this should be coming to mind a little bit, things we talked about in there. But listen to Luke chapter 5 and verse 16. It says, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. He often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. 
There was a, an early church false teaching called docetism. Let me just give you a little bit of a, uh, some, some things that came into Christianity that people had to meet together and identify as false teaching. Docetism is the idea that Jesus wasn't really human. He seemed to be human. So people had a hard time believing that God actually had a brain, and he actually had veins, and he actually slept, he actually used the restroom. I mean, it was just hard for people to put that in their brain. And so it was, it was easier to say Jesus seemed to be human, but he wasn't truly human. The problem with this is that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, and you can see this in the Gospels, he was eating, he was sleeping, he was crying, he was resting, he was bleeding. He was on the cross saying he was thirsty, that he literally experienced a full range of human emotions. As a result of this, folks, of being a human, he had to practice pulling away and practice silence and solitude. He had to do that. To slow down, to consider in our lives, what we're feeling, how we are doing. Let me ask you this question. How is it with your soul this morning? Do you even know? Again, author Dallas Willard says, people who think they are spiritually superior because they make a practice of spiritual disciplines are entirely missing the point. Because here's the other side. Some people are like, well, I pray, I read my Bible, I do this, I do this, I do this, all this kind of stuff. Kind of like you've leveled up. Like you look at the chart, you're like, I'm doing most of the stuff on there. Cha-ching, I am good, man. Well, you may be missing the point. The need for extensive practice of any given discipline is an indication of our weakness, not our strength. We can even lay it down as a rule of thumb that if it's easy for us to engage in a certain discipline, we probably don't need to practice it. So, we've seen the problem. We've looked at some of the solution of needing to slow down. Now let's talk very briefly about the application. Okay, what are the applications? The word rule comes from the Greek word which means trellis. If the vine is going to grow, then it grows on a trellis, okay? You need a trellis. You need something, some spiritual practice for your own life to grow on. Here are some thoughts, some thoughts. Number one, solitude. This is a a discipline that needs to take place in our lives that most of us probably are not practicing right now. Solitude. Let me give you a thought on this. Why don't you start by making the most of the time in your car? Use the time in your car to engage in a spiritual discipline. I've needed this reminder. Usually when I'm in the car, I I connect to Apple Play. I've got a podcast because I want to be productive. I want to use the time wisely, right? And so I've got 20 minutes to my house, 20 minutes to here. I do the coffee on Thursday. I've got 25 minutes. So I'm, it, it occurred to me one day, I'm always listening to podcasts. I'm never silent in the car. Why don't you turn all of that off and use that time in the car? Why don't you, I know this is going to seem like, this is where you're going to be like, no way, man, I'm going to fight you on this one. Why don't you drive the speed limit? <laughs> now, I know some of you have never done that except in your, pat, your test when you were 16, right? I understand that. But notice that. Why do, why do you always have to put pedal to the metal? I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be some curmudgeon. Again, I'm not. 
I'm not, I'm not like going to pass out these big things that say, don't text and drive. You know, you shouldn't do that either. But, but, but why is it that you, you are so important that you got to get from point A to point B the quickest possible to get the most stuff done because your life is so important? Why can't you slow it down a little bit and take that time and use that time and grow that time like a trellis for your life to grow on? Here's number two. Here's a practice of silence. Turn off your phone. Turn off your phone. This is where it is going to seem like I'm just kind of an old curmudgeonly guy. Turn off your phone. Now, I understand some of us, you, you're connected. You know, you've got, you've got elderly parents and all this. Like, you've got to be connected. Why don't you take, why don't you do this? Because some of you are already doing this. By the way, the people who are wisest to this are our young people, our teenagers, because some of them are already doing this. Take a digital Sabbath. Take a digital Sabbath. Like, you are not going to be on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, none of that for a month. Do that. Like, if you can't be disconnected from email or from texting or that kind of stuff because you've got responsibilities, I understand that. Don't go to your boss and say, hey, I can't take any of your calls, man. My pastor said, do not do that, all right? That is not what I'm saying. Pay your mortgage, pay your bills, give the IRS what they're due, do the stuff at work. But you know what? Where you can control this kind of stuff, there are some apps. Like, I love apps and stuff. i got so many apps on my phone. There are some apps, like I've heard other preachers say this stuff, and I'm just like, I could never do without that app. I have to have that app, man. I have to have that. There was one app I had on my phone I thought I would never be able to do without, and I finally deleted it about two years ago, and honestly, I think I'm healthier in my soul because of it. Take time to be off your phone. Do you remember such a thing as this? Some of you are not even going to know what I'm talking about when I say this. It's going to be like I'm talking about eight-track tapes. Do you understand that there was a time where people had something in their lives called boredom? Remember that? Do you remember that? It was like when you were a little kid, it's like, Mom, I'm bored. I don't have anything to do. Well, you know what? Deal with it, man. You know what? Just go outside and play with sticks, you know? It's like, it's like every time now somebody's bored, we, we're missing a, an opportunity for learning and engagement. Do something with that boredom profitably. Uh, here's a third um, thought with prayer. Practice daily prayer rhythms. Now, I need to quickly go through this. Page 98 in your, in your book, and your stuff you're handing out, there is something there that I think can be exceedingly helpful for you. Years past, it's called the prayer of examine. It gives you a list of things, take you about 20 minutes to do, and it guides you through prayer in a constructive way. For many people, prayer is just like boring to them. They don't know what to do past like three minutes. This will give you an opportunity to engage with some things that would be really helpful to you. And then let's keep going on. Uh, number four, pay attention to interruptions. I hate interruptions. I hate them. You do too. But, but here's maybe something we could do. Let's turn interruptions into invitations. I know that sounds quirky. It sounds like just like positive act, speak and all that. But turn the interruption into an invitation. Maybe I'm irritated because I am so locked into my schedule, I can't be bothered with anybody else. Take those interruptions, turn them into invitations, and notice something. Why are you getting irritated? What is it that's bothering you in that moment? Now, 
I've got one more passage to read and then I'm done, but let me just say, this is not easy. This is not easy. This is going to be really hard. This is the difference, folks, like we had talked about before, with, with having a Y membership and going into where all the machines are, and, and you smell the sweat, and you smell the productivity, you hear the sound of machines, but you're not doing any of them. You're just kind of walking around, you know, just looking at guys, maybe even catching somebody's eyes, saying, hey, good job. But you're not pumping any iron at all. You're just watching other people do it. This, this is, you got to pump the iron. Like, you got to get on the treadmill. When I was in the Y a few months ago, there was a guy there that really bothered me. I was, I was in this process of like just really being mad at life and mad at everything because I couldn't run well and my legs hurt and it, just, it, was just, it was just bad. There was a guy there who always seemed to be in there about the same time, about my age, and the guy was just cut. I mean, you know what I'm talking about? He's a V like this. He would always wear shorts. His legs are just so awesomely defined. And he was always on a treadmill and he was always walking. He was walking. And I'm trying to run, and I'm like, how could this guy have a body like that and walk? How come I can't do that? I would love to have laid my hands on him and said, I want to get some of what you have into me. It doesn't work that way, man. Neither can you go to somebody that appears spiritual in this congregation and lay your hands on them, and you get nutrients in you. You got to get the Bible. You got to pray. Pray. And start where you're at and work from there. Develop that relationship with God. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30, familiar verses. Let me read them in in the message Bible translation. It's a paraphrase. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Practice the spiritual disciplines or you will wither and you will burn out. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we can look at these practical things today. Help us as we discuss them in our community groups, in various and sundry other ways throughout the week. But help us to start, help us to practice, and help us to get, uh, to get connected to you. Help us to do what Mary did. One thing is necessary. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Our worship